I think many of you know this, but if you didn't, when I was growing up, I played a lot of tennis. That was my sport. That's kind of what I did as a hobby. I liked to play it. I liked to watch it. Whenever there was a a major tournament on, I would spend as many hours as possible watching the, the best of the world compete against each other. And at that time, which is, you know, some years ago now, the two, uh, I guess, most important American tennis players, male tennis players, were Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi. Anybody remember those guys playing a little bit? And I really, really liked Pete Sampras. And so I would watch Pete. I mean, he made tennis look so effortless as he won tournament after tournament. And of course, before Roger and and Rafa Nadal came along, uh, he had set record after record. He made tennis look easy. But here's what I noticed whenever I played tennis. When I played tennis, um, it didn't look as easy as when Pete Sampras played tennis. And as a middle schooler, no matter how much effort I gave, no matter how much work I put in, my game looked a lot more difficult than Pete Sampras's game did. My serve was slower. I wasn't as fast. My backhand was not reliable at all. I wanted to be like Pete, but I had no idea how to accomplish it and no idea of whether or not I could ever even be close to the greatness that was Pete Sampras. So I took matters into my own hands and my parents' pocketbook. I I didn't want to to settle for what I was. I wanted to become better, and so I started doing more practice. I started going to clinics at the local country club with a tennis pro. And so there were days I would spend three or four hours at a time playing tennis. I would go to camps in the summer. And even though I did get better, I was still a long way from being Pete Sampras. And I could have been discouraged by that until I realized that Pete was a generational talent. <laughs> that there weren't many people in the history of playing the sport of tennis, pro and uh, others alike, that were as good as him. And I probably shouldn't have expected to be as good as Pete Sampras was. It was an unlikely goal to achieve. But you know, we do that in life. We We see the best of a particular thing that we're interested in, and we try to make it our aim to be like them. I'm sure many of you, whenever you were pursuing hobbies as a young person, had someone you idolized that you desired to be like. If you played basketball, maybe you wanted to be like Michael Jordan or LeBron James. If you want, if you played the cello, maybe you wanted to be like Yo-Yo Ma, right? Uh, if you uh, were an actor, maybe you wanted to be like Meryl Streep. Or if you're a, a preacher, maybe you want to be like John Piper. It's fine to have high standards. It's fine to have these these goals that we aspire to, but we also have to be realistic. I mean, like Pete, these are people who are extraordinary at what they do. They are, again, generational talents. And I guess it's possible for us to be like them. I guess it's possible at some point, maybe there are, are a few among us who have that kind of talent to rise above everyone else, but it does seem like a long shot that we would ever achieve that kind of, of greatness. Now, people tell us that we should strive to be like them, but can we really? Can we ever meet these seemingly impossibly high standards? And that leads me to our passage today, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, because in this passage, we are challenged 
to be like someone else. Microphone popping. And this passage, we're challenged to be like Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? That we're challenged to be like the Son of God. Now, if you thought Pete Sampras was a tough sell, <laughs> let me just tell you, Jesus is at a different level. The second person incarnate of the Trinity. How on earth are we supposed to be like him? If, if striving to be like Merrill, if striving to be, striving to be like Yo-Yo Ma is in vain, well, certainly it seems like striving to be like Christ would be in vain. At the same time, we know that God would not call us to pursue something or command us to be something that he had also not made possible. And that's the beauty of the passage that we venture into this morning in Philippians chapter 2. Not only does this passage call us to Christ's likeness and explain what Christ's likeness looks like, it further tells us how we are able to achieve Christ's likeness. That the goal of being like Christ is not impossible. In fact, because of the work of God through Jesus, it is possible that we could be like Christ. This passage celebrates not only the example of Christ, but also the provision of Christ for us to be like Christ. Here's our main point today. In Christ, we have both our example and our provision for faithfulness to God. In Christ, we have both our example and our provision for faithfulness to God. We are called to be like Christ, and Christ is the way that we can be like Him. Isn't that incredible? Let's read these incredible words from Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves. And remember, he's continuing the thought that he already began earlier in 127 through 2, 4. This, this commitment to be self-sacrificing, committed to humility, committed to the unity of the body. Have this mind of humility. Have this mind of self-sacrifice. Have this mind that is like Christ among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that... At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, as I read this passage, it kind of feels like we're on holy ground, doesn't it? I mean, these words are stunning. We hear in this Christ hymn, Someone's celebrating the work of Jesus. And we're stirred, I hope, in our hearts. We should be stirred as we see the, the love of God on full display for us through the work of Christ. And Paul uses this moment, this moment of worship, this declaration of affection as a, a call to action. A call to action for the Philippian church and a call to action for us today as the body 
of Christ. That's what we see in verse 5. Paul challenges the Philippian church as he continues his challenge that we looked at last week to greater Christ-likeness. He says to them to strive for unity, to be humble, to be sacrificial, to be all these things that are characteristic of the mind of Christ. Verse 5. Have this mind, this mind of Jesus, this this mind of self-sacrifice, this mind of humility, have this Christ-like mind among yourselves. So be like Christ. Be like Jesus who displayed all of these things so perfectly. And you know, initially, when they read the first part of that verse, the Philippian church like us had to be asking, Paul, how do we do this? Don't you know who we are? We're sinners. We are rebellious creatures who have been saved by grace. How is it possible that we can be like the Son of God. Well, Paul gives us the answer as we continue in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You can have this mindset of Christ. You can be like Jesus because it is yours in Christ. You are able to do this because of Jesus. You see, the calling to Christ's likeness is not without provision. God didn't just set an impossibly high standard that we could never achieve on our own and not give us the means of achieving it. Christ is both our example and our provision. So let's consider how Paul unfolds this reality as we continue throughout the text, that Paul is, that Jesus is both our example but also our provision. Let's begin with the first part, that Jesus is our example. Have this mind among yourselves. What are we supposed to look like? How can we really be committed to humility? How can we really be committed to to sacrifice in a, a way that is similar to the example of Christ? Well, Paul outlines for you in verses 6 through 11 the example of Christ that he wants you to aspire to as part of the church. Paul reminds the church of what Jesus did to help them see what He expects of them. And there are are two parts to the story of Jesus that Paul unfolds, two two aspects of His work that we need to pay attention to. The first part is in verses 6 to 8, and it talks about the descent of Christ. The second part is verses 9 through 11 that talks about the ascent of Christ and the glorious way that God has exalted Him. So church... Let's begin with the challenge of being humble like Christ. Looking at the descent of Jesus in verses 6 to 8. What does Paul tell us about the example of Christ? Well, he was in the form of God. He did not have to reach to be equal with God. He was and is and will be the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity. He did not become God. He was not created. He is and has always been, always will be God. Before he came, he enjoyed all the benefits of being God. He had all the attributes of God living in full fellowship within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He was worshipped, he was adored, he was glorious. And yet, Paul tells us, he left all those things. He left them. He put them behind him. He left the throne. 
He put aside the prestige. He forsook what he deserved by limiting himself, by by lowering himself, by emptying himself, the Bible says. The God of the universe, the word that put creation into place, suddenly became servant. The one we were created to serve came himself to serve, taking on the, the lowest form of humanity. He took on the likeness of his creation. And listen, this is more than an undercover boss moment. You know that show, Undercover Boss, where these bosses kind of put on some clothes and pretend to be like one of their their menial workers to go see how bad it is in their organization. Listen, Jesus was not pretending. He became human. He took on the likeness of his creation. He became one of us, deity in humanity, Jesus, the God-man. So listen to the descent here. King became servant. Infinite became finite. God became God-man. And that's not it. Paul tells us the descent continues. He descends to the lowest place imaginable. Not only did he humble himself by becoming human and a servant at that, he humbled himself by allowing himself to die. The immortal becoming mortal. God willingly laying down his life. And not just any death, friends. The descent continues further. He died the worst kind of death. Death on a cross. That's a weird way to exalt God, isn't it? To lift him up on a cross. What kind of exaltation is this? It certainly wasn't the exaltation he deserved. That's how you exalt murderers, thieves who deserve death. You exalt someone like this in this manner when you don't want others to be like them. When you want to to curb behavior, to say, don't be like this guy, don't rob, don't steal. That's not what Jesus deserved, and yet that's exactly what he got. And yet Jesus willingly allowed for this humiliating exaltation. What a picture of humility. What a picture of sacrifice. Think of all that Jesus deserved. Think of all that he surrendered that was rightfully his to be about the Father's business. He descended to the lowest depths imaginable. Thankfully, that's not where the story ends, right? Because God did not leave him at the bottom. God did not leave him in the lowest of lows because in verse 9, we see an incredible change. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. There's a movement upward now that stops this descent that Christ took upon for you and for me. Jesus, because of his willingness to be humble, because of his willingness to sacrifice, because of his willingness to put all those things aside, has once again taken his rightful place at the right hand of the Father and has revealed to his creation more of his glory so that we can worship and adore him just as we were created to. God has lifted him high and he's given him the name that is above every single name, the name that was mocked, 
the name that was used to shame followers of Jesus, the name that was an embarrassment even in his hometown, has now become the most precious name that we can utter. Isn't that true? Just say Jesus to yourself. Say Jesus to your neighbor. Doesn't that make you feel good? Isn't there something that, that signified in your spirit every time you mention the name of Christ, what a blessing it is to say this name? Consider, just for a moment, the, the glory associated with this name that we now have the privilege of uttering as sons and daughters of God. It is a name that signifies the full glory of God. When we think of Jesus, we think of all that God is. We see His grace. We see his mercy, his love. We see his wrath upheld, his righteousness upheld. The greatest act of love ever performed for humanity. The name of Jesus points us to God and calls us to worship. There's no other name that carries with it the full weight of God's glory than the name of Jesus. It's a name that strikes the very heart of man. The name of Jesus. Other names have tried. But no other name will bring about the result that we see here in this, power, this passage. He is the most powerful name. His is the most powerful name under the sun. Even more powerful than Mufasa. Remember that moment in Lion King when uh, they, they speak the name Mufasa and the hyenas begin to shake because there's so much power associated with the name of Mufasa. Friends, the name of Jesus has a lot more power than some created cartoon character. A strong, powerful name. This name signifies someone who has done something more beautiful than Michelangelo. He's performed an act that is more loving than even St. Valentine himself. He will unify the entire world in worship one day, whether they want to or not. At this name, every knee will bow, and the whole of creation, even the rebellious, will finally see what they should have seen all along. If they don't want to bow, they will be forced to because they cannot, they cannot stand in the presence of the glory of God. His name will be too much for them to bear. At the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess the lordship of Christ, that he has all authority, that he is king of kings and lord of lords, all for the glory of God the Father who orchestrated this beautiful plan of redemption for us through Jesus Christ. Christ. And aren't these stunning words that Paul puts on the page here reminding us of the full example of Jesus? Do you sense his power and his majesty? I could listen to this hymn be sung over and over again as we consider the glory of Christ. And we're called to be like him. Isn't that crazy? We're, we're called to be like this person. Have this mind among yourselves. How is this possible? Remember, this passage is not only telling us about the example of Christ. It's also telling us about the provision of Christ. The example is the provision. The work of Christ that we see here in this passage is what enables us to follow the example of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There's no other way you can have it except in Christ. But because of the work of Christ, you now can be like Jesus. His sacrifice 
allows us to be sacrificial. His selflessness allows us to be selfless. His obedience allows us to be obedient. His life allows us to live. This is God's plan all along. In fact, you may hear some familiar words in Philippians 2, 5 through 11 that you've heard previously in the Scriptures. Because the language that's ascribed to Christ in this hymn was ascribed to the Messiah, the foretold Messiah long ago by the prophet Isaiah. And his songs about Jesus, the servant songs. In them, the prophet foretells of a Savior who will restore us before our holy and righteous God, allowing us to be what God had always called us to be as his People. Can I just remind us of, of these words that Paul pulls from when he is orchestrating this incredible hymn in 2, 5 through 11? Isaiah 45, verses 22 to 25. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me are righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. And the Lord, all the offspring of Israel, shall be justified and shall glory. In this passage, we see the promise of God that he will orchestrate a salvation that will call all the nations to worship. In him will God's people find righteousness and strength. He will display his glory in a way that even the rebellious, even the rebellious will be forced to acknowledge his worth. A savior from Israel who will fully embody his glory. Isaiah 49, verses three through seven. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely my rides with the Lord and my recompense with God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the presence of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, the Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful. The Holy One of Israel has chosen you. In this passage, Isaiah here sets the stage for a servant of God to come in order to call God's people back to himself. He will be a light to Israel and to all the world, allowing the salvation of God to reach not only Israel, but the ends of the earth. Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 53, verse 12. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and he shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, 
So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they now understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him as a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, esteemed. He was not. Surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us Peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, listen, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears was silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of God to crush him. He, was, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. What an incredible prophetic utterance from Isaiah as he speaks about the exaltation of a suffering servant, an exaltation that is a surprising one for sure. Exalted by man to death in order that through his death, God may accomplish his redemptive purposes. The righteous and holy one of God dying for us, taking upon our sin upon him so that we who were not righteous could now be declared righteous in Christ. That we who could not attain the high, high, high bar that God set out for his people, could not in our own strength be holy as God as is holy, suddenly now have a way to find favor and be declared righteous before a holy and righteous God. All of that foretold. All of that promised through the prophets. And now, Paul says, has been fulfilled in Christ. What you could not do on your own, the example that we see in the life of Christ that is, that is too great for us, what we could not do on our own, a, a level of perfection we could never have achieved, a level of obedience we could never have achieved on our own, suddenly is now possible because of the work of Christ. 
in the story of this servant, we not only have the example that we are called to, but a provision. We can be like Christ. We can grow in Christ's likeness because of the work of Christ, because he has freed us from our slavery to sin so that now we can be servants of God in the same way that he was a servant of God. He has enabled us to have the spirit of God within us so that we can walk in greater faithfulness, to have a mind that is not our own, to have a mind that we could not achieve on our own, to be the kind of people who are characterized by humility and self-sacrifice and radical, radical love because of the example that we see in Jesus. This is ours. This is yours in Christ. We can be like Christ because of the work of Christ. Praise the Lord. You don't have to to see this standard. You don't have to see this calling as impossible. You don't have to sit in frustration over and over again, wondering if if you're even able to do what God has called you to do. You can strive for Christ's likeness. You can become more like Jesus to the glory of God the Father. And here's the incredible thing. Even when you fail, because not all of us will do it perfectly, the provision is still there to get back up and try again. That's the beauty of the God that we serve. So how should we respond this morning? This incredible, incredible work that Paul has offered to us, describing the work of Christ. Well, first, let us today see the challenge before us to be more like Christ. We are called to be like Jesus as individuals and as a people. It's my hope that in the course of your salvation, in the course of of your life, with the Lord, that you could look back to the moment when you were saved to where you are today and see a progress toward Christ's likeness. I hope that you look more like Jesus today than you did when he found you. If you don't, probably something's wrong, right? How could you be swept up into the the saving work of God? How could you have beheld what God has done for you in Jesus? How could your your heart be captured by the love, the sacrificial love that he has shown you in Christ and not be radically different? Not not striving to please God with every fiber of your being. Now, that doesn't mean that we will be perfect all the time, that we won't fall back into our sinful ways on occasion because we still live in a sinful and broken world. World, But over the course of our life, I hope that we see that we are more like Jesus and that we are committed that until he returns, we will strive to grow in increasing Christ-likeness, increasing purity for the glory of God. I hope we, we never get to a place in our walk with Christ where we sit in our laurels, that we're, we're happy with where we have ended up, that we are constantly thinking about more ways that we can be like Jesus. Isn't that the work of the Spirit in our lives? Every day as we encounter the Word of God, every day as we 
as we walk with him, for him to show us things about ourselves that don't look like Jesus and remove them so that we continue to put on this new man that God has called us to in Christ. There's a challenge before us. There's a challenge before us to be like Jesus. And again, that can be an overwhelming thing until you realize the provision that God has given you in Christ. There's an example that we're called to to strive after, but there is provision in Jesus. God has not called you to something that you cannot pursue faithfully. So, there's a challenge before us to be like Christ. So, even within that, let's consider the example of Jesus today. As we, as we think about what we're called to, let's consider the example of Christ that Paul has, has so faithfully reminded us of in verses 5 through 11. And let's be overwhelmed by what Jesus did for us. In many ways, this hymn is a call to worship, right? When we think about what Jesus left, what he did for us, that should stir our hearts with affection so that we are ready and willing to give glory to God and worship him. How? Why would Jesus do that? If not for love. If not for love. Why would Jesus do that? And yet he did. Such sacrifice, humility, all for the glory of God and for the good of you and me. If you're not overwhelmed by that, I don't know what will overwhelm you. Stunning what Jesus has done for us. And yet the promise is the same. As he descended and has ascended, so now we who have been found in our descent, in our lowliness, can be lifted with Christ. We can be one with him. We can share in the inheritance that is the Son's. Worshiping God, not only for the example of Christ, but also the provision of Christ. And as we look upon him, and as we consider that this is what we are called to do, let us rest in the provision of Jesus. It is impossible for you to be like Christ on your own, just as it's impossible for you to save yourself. But in Christ, salvation is found, and in Christ, righteousness is ours. So that through the sanctifying work of God within us, the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we can be more like him. God has prepared the way for us to walk in righteousness, to choose what honors him, to reject the false promises of sin and walk in unity and selflessness as the people of God. We can choose this in the empowerment of the Spirit after the example of Jesus for the glory of God the Father. Church, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And if all of us collectively commit ourselves to growing in Christ's likeness, then we will remain unified. We will remain committed to the work of the gospel and the enemy will have no place amongst us. And wouldn't that be a good thing? Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time before the Lord, asking him to help you know how to respond this morning.
first question I need to ask you is this. Have you ever heard the work of Christ in this way? Have you ever considered what God has done for you in Jesus? Have you ever been overwhelmed by the love that God has shown to us through the work of Christ? And committed your life to the Lord, repented and believed in Jesus to salvation. If you haven't, oh, let this morning be the day. Let this morning be the day. When you give up trying to save yourself, when you give up trying to be holy on your own account and trust in the work of Christ. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to speak with you more about that. For the rest of us, though, how are we doing with this calling to be like Christ? Are we striving to be more like him? Are we, are we seeking to remove more things in our life that don't honor the Lord so that we can walk in greater faithfulness? Or are you good? Do you think you've arrived? And in that pursuit, are you frustrated? Because it feels like there's all this work to do and you never get it right. Or are you pointed to the provision that God has given you? That even in our failure, Christ is enough. That the Spirit of God now lives within us to help us do what we could not do on our own, to be more like Jesus. We have an example and we have a provision. Let us have this mind among ourselves because of the work of Christ. Father, help us to know how to respond. Find us faithful, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.